Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you so much for uh, the way in which you speak to us. Uh, Thank you that uh, you are the one who has a great plan and you have chosen to include us in your plan. So please, would you use Rob uh, to speak to us and Nat uh, to speak to the kids, uh, that we may know you, that we may understand more of who you are, and understanding who you are, we may respond to you uh, with praise, with obedience, and with submission to who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Natalie, you go out the kids. Kids, follow Natalie. And the rest of us will stay. Keep your Bibles open, please. There's going to be a few bits here and there. Uh, so I will need you just to follow them as I, as I read them. We start off with Genesis 4. Verse 8 to 16. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the fields, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cast from from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you walk the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he, he called the name of the city after, after the name of his son, Enoch. Okay, next we'll go to chapter 5. This time we'll only read 17 to 24. Okay, only five lines. Chapter 5 on page 4, 17 to 24. Thus, all the days of Mahalal were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived for 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch for 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived for 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with the Lord, 
after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Finally, we go to chapter 6. We'll read verse 11 to 14. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. There ends our readings. Please keep your Bibles open uh, as uh, Rob is, is going to explain. Hello, everyone. My name's Rob. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, and a good welcome to the people at the back. Uh, wonderful to see some visitors with us today. Um, it's, it's really good to have you. And we hope you can stay around afterwards to uh, s- share some food, some drinks, and um, get to know us a bit. It'd be great to get to know you as well. Um, we're going to be doing uh, a Bible overview. Um, so we're looking at the Bible, but we're looking at it in seven chunks. And if you know how long the Bible is, you'll know that that's sort of quite difficult. <laughs> it's like trying to squeeze it all in to seven pieces uh, of the puzzle. Um, you should have um, a book with you. Um, that book is called God's Big Picture. And uh, this is the kind of structure of what we're looking at on Sundays. And um, so if you're joining us, you've only missed us do chapters one and two last week. And you can catch up with that on the website. Um, so we looked at how God established his kingdom, the world he had made, where he's the ruler in Eden, and how mankind was ejected or evicted from that kingdom because it chose, they chose to rule themselves. Um, so that's where we've got to, thinking about God's big picture. Um, so that was from Genesis 1 to 3. So it was only three chapters of the Bible. So we're picking up the pace a bit. Um, so you're going to see that we're going to cover a bit more ground today. Um, last week we did do questions after the sermon. That was really helpful because there were some wonderful questions, um, really, really insightful questions about what we were learning. And I'd love to do that again today, and hopefully I'll get the chance to answer uh, some of those questions too. So I've got George to read um, some snapshots. They are snapshots from chapters 4 to 6. 4 to 6 immediately follows 1 to 3. <laughs> you don't have to me to tell you that um but four to six shows that what had started to happen in god's world which is that people had rejected god and had been cast out of god's kingdom and the the curses that flowed from that it gives some examples of that so what happens we see a man who's willing to murder his own brother straight away there's violence and envy and there's consequences for that Um, And then we see uh, that little reading from chapter 5, which is there's mortality. Everyone dies. (laughs) That list, you know, it may be long-winded, but it's, it's, and they died, and they died, and they died. So there's mortality outside of God's kingdom as well. And then finally, there's this bit from the start of the story of Noah, 
uh, which is that God saw the wickedness over all the earth and it was widespread. So much so that he wanted to wipe out all of humankind because it was so evil. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty bleak. It's pretty downbeat, those chapters. You sort of think, is there any ray of light? Is there any hope in this? Well, we saw in chapter 3 there is hope. And we see throughout those chapters these little indications that God is doing something, that he hasn't finished with mankind yet. Um, let me just show them to you. Um, so God could have completely wiped out Cain. He could have caused a judgment for Cain to come on him straight away, but he doesn't do that. And he is, actually has a mark put on him to say that he will be protected. That's grace, kindness, isn't it? Undeserved kindness. Uh, towards a man who's done something abhorrent and evil. Um, that list of names of people who died, and they died, and they died, and they died, I've got George to read Enoch. There is one man who can walk with God, who has walked with God, and who didn't taste death, because God took him to be with him. So even though we're in this experience of God, outside of God's kingdom, under his judgment and sin and death, that's our experience. That's all of our experience. There is a, a, a hope hold out for us. God's plan is still on track. And then finally with uh, uh, Noah, which we're going to get to just now, um, is that there is one family that God saves. Not because they were a good family, by the way. Not because they were perfect. They were sinners too. But God graciously, you know, it says um, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That word is actually grace. Noah had God's grace and kind, undeserved kindness because God said he warned him of the judgment that was coming and he saved him from it. So what's God doing in all of this? Well, he is doing what he said he was going to do, which is have a people for himself, a kingdom where people would live with him under his rule, enjoying his blessing for eternity. And this is still on track even in these bleakest chapters of the Bible. So it's good for us to look at those chapters because there is still, still, even amongst that, brother killing brother, people dying, you know, wickedness all over the face of the earth. There is still God's plan working out. Has anyone, um, we'll look at this in a minute. Has anyone looked at this this week? Okay, put your hand up. Honest, it's, you can be honest. If, you, if you've looked at this more than once, Put your hand up. This is the tracking for uh, the Queen's, uh, the queue to see the Queen lying in the States. Um, and it says currently, this was 9.40 this morning, if you join the back of the queue, you'd be waiting 13 and a half hours. Um, temperature is 12 degrees. Uh, and the nearest landmark to the back of the queue, which is on that map, is Southwark Park. Um, yeah, we've all been looking at this, haven't we? Like there's, you know, there's intrigue as to the progress that we'd make if we were in that queue, or, or the lack of progress <laughs> that people are making in that queue. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because what we're going to be doing through the Bible overview is, is tracking the progress, not of whether people waiting to see a dead monarch, but progress of God's promises to his eternal king. And uh, so we've got this picture here, which is Abraham's promise tracker. And I'll, I'll show you what Abraham's promise was. 
Uh, but actually, interestingly, it's exactly the same shape of journey, isn't it? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> With the river. I mean, who would have thought? Uh, but, but there is such similarity. Um, slightly hotter here, I think. You know, a bit longer as well, distance-wise, yeah. Um, but this is the Abraham's Promise Tracker. And um, we're going to look at the promise that God gave to Abraham. And the reason we're doing this is because we're trying to look at what the Bible says it is. We're trying to look at what the Bible says its story is about. And the reason for that is we get ourselves all confused if we try and think ourselves what we think the story should be. If we try to say, I think the Bible's about this, we should let the Bible tell us what the Bible's about. And the Bible says from the very word go, it's about God's kingdom where he rules, a people for himself, who are living under his rule, enjoying his blessing, and the problem of them being removed from that, and the way back for them. And this is why we get these promises. And so if you turn up your Bibles, we're going to look first to the promise that is given to Noah, um, and then we're going to look at that briefly, but then we're going to look at the promise given to Abraham. Uh, So if you turn up your Bibles to chapter 9, verse 8. It will appear on the screen as well, so if you can't get to it. Uh, We're going to hear that word covenant. Covenant means promise, a binding promise. Uh, But that's that word there. So God's covenant. I'll read from verse 8. And God said to Noah, this is after the flood, and he's brought them out. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, for it is is every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. In verse 17, God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. You get some some uh, sort of uh, sort of features of the covenant. You get God initiating the covenant. He chooses who, where, what he says in, in promise to people. It's his decision. It's his initiative. It's not people saying, "Oh God, we think you should do this." It's him saying, "I'm going to do this." And 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 you get a sign, uh, which God gives as well. And the sign is often something that. Um, it's just a mark of us trusting the promise. We'll see in the next one that God gives the sign of circumcision. And we sort of think, okay, well, God's, it, we could do it. It's a business arrangement. God says, I will do this, and then you've got to do this. And if you don't do this, then I won't do this. But often the bit that God says to do is to trust his promise, to trust him to keep his side of the bargain. Um, so God's choosing who, what, where. It's not based on goodness of people. Noah was just like everyone else. He was a sinner. And yet God establishes, he says, I promise, 
and I promise to do this. What does he promise to do or not to do? He promises never to wipe out the earth with a flood the way that he did with Noah. And um, that's the first promise we look at in the Bible to Noah. The next one, if you look down with me, uh, in Genesis 17, just a few chapters over. Chapter 17, verse 4. Sam, will you read this? Genesis 17, verse 4. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham. But I have, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Thank you. Again, covenant promise. God's saying, I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. What's, what's God going to do? It's not a rhetorical question. What's God going to do? But who's he going to do it through? Abraham. Had many sons. <laughs> many sons of Father Abraham. Um, God is going to make many of Abraham. He's going to make for himself a people who are going to be many, plenty, a people for himself. And uh, he promises some other things as well. Some people, someone here said land. He promises them a land of Canaan. Um, he promises them kings. Kings shall come from you. Um, and it's going to be a blessing to be with God. So for him to be their God and for them to be his people, they will enjoy his blessing. It's like going back to Eden. What a wonderful thing. And God's going to do that through this one man, through this one family, this one, the descendants of Abraham. That's what he says, to you and your descendants after you. And there's this interesting little thing. Let me read to you chapter 12, uh, verse... Um, Seven. If you look, chapter 12, verse 7, or verse 6. You'll see the promise that God makes to him in uh, verses 2 and 3. That's a kind of shorter version, shorthand version. Then in verse 6, Abraham passed, or Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So one thing we find out here is, is that it's not going to happen immediately. The reason God says to Abram, built this altar of stones is because it's, you're going to be future generations who go into the land. Who see the fulfillment of what I promised here. And when they go into the land and they see that pile of rocks, they think, mm, oh yeah, our forefather Abraham, 
God gave that promise to, and God's keeping his promises, right? Um, so it's not going to happen immediately, uh, but there's some other features, um, and we'll go back to our little diagram. What are the features of the promise? God would have a people. Uh, he would give them a land. There, there would be a king, and it would bless all nations. That through that line, through Abraham's children and descendants, there would be a king and there would be a blessing for all nations. Um, so, we're going to um, do this uh, with our study of Genesis and Exodus. I know you think we just start, we, we've pretty much finished, but we've only just started, right? We're going to put to test what this is saying. That if the Bible really is about God's story and God, God's promises and their fulfilment then surely we'd see it everywhere in the stories. And, and the reason why this is really helpful is because, um, let me just look back, um, it's because actually there is a problem when we decide what the Bible is saying. When we go to him, we think, we say, well, it's about me. Or it's about saying, telling me I'm going to have a great life, or it's about me doing this thing. And so actually, all the stories of the Bible that we hear about, Moses, the Exodus, and all of the stories, David, they fit into God fulfilling this promise, the promise tracker. Where do they fit into God's promise? And the thing is, if we say, um, I think the Bible is about cautionary tales, you know, the kind of tales we say, don't do this, or moral lessons, do this, that's a good thing to do. Um, or inspirational heroes, maybe. We, we think the Bible is about inspirational heroes. So we say, David is there to show us how to be brave. And I want to be brave like David. Then we haven't really understood that God's made a promise. Right back in Genesis 12, 17. And he, this is the promise tracker. The Bible itself is showing where he's got to in fulfilling that promise. Um, so we're going to do that together. Uh, with Genesis and Exodus. And of course we can't talk about everything because we're talking large bits of the Bible. We've only got to chapter 17 or chapter 18 of Genesis. Uh, but we're going to look at from Abraham all the way to Mount Sinai. And I'll do that very briefly, okay? Um, so a people. We're looking just at the people aspect of the promise. God said he'd have a people, he'd give them a land, give them kings, and there would be a blessing to all nations. And yet we're just looking at the people bit. Next week we'll do the land and the king and all of that um, that comes afterwards. But we're just doing the people bit. So, how many people have we got currently in the promise that God has made? Well, one, really, Abraham. Um, and, and a wife, yes. Do you know how old they are? Yeah, old. I mean, older than Vic. Um, or, you know, older than George, you know, older than Barry and, uh, and Sarah. Maybe not as old as Barry. <laughs> but they, they're old. And Sarah is, is barren. She's never been able to have children. And now she's in her 90s. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to do this. And it's, a, a complete, it's completely impossible if not for God. And they don't even believe it, to be honest. Like Abraham does, but Sarah, does, Sarah doesn't. And, um, and yet God does it, doesn't he? Who does he give them? 
gives them one, one son of the promise from Sarah. One son. How many sons does God give to Isaac? This is testing us a bit, isn't it? Two sons. Good guess. Uh, you could guess one, two, maybe. Jacob and Esau. Um, how many sons did God give to Jacob? Everyone knows this one. Twelve sons. I won't ask you to name them all. Can you see, already within a few generations, maybe not in Abraham's line of sight, but God is fulfilling his promise to have a people for himself. And there was 12 sons who were going to have their own families, who were going to have their own families, who were going to have their own families. We're going to just look at that family um, uh, through just um, the end of the book of Genesis and the start of the book of Exodus. So... um, they had uh, uh, in Egypt. Part one is with the son Joseph, because Joseph was the, the brother that was rejected by the family, and they wanted him dead actually. And yet, that was God's plan to bring him to Egypt first, raise him up, so that they would be saved from a famine. Um, so there's Joseph uh, rejected, and God's rescue plan through that one son for the whole family. God was preserving his people um, and they went to Egypt and because they were able to have the grain there and they were able to reside there, they grew in number. And at the end of the book of Genesis, it's, it's a big group of people in residence in Egypt um, and things are going well. Um, turn with me to the start of the book of Exodus and we're just going to look at one or two verses. Yeah, don't put your Bible down. Keep it in front of you. Um, we're going to look at verse 8 of chapter 1. Now there arose a new king in Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they uh, ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So God's people growing in number and yet this is a new king who doesn't know Joseph has no regard for him does not favour him and this king Pharaoh is threatened by God's people and he says I can do something about it I'm going to squash them suppress them keep them from causing any threat to me and my kingdom Um, and that's what he wanted to do this is part two Uh, they're in chains They're not having a great time in Egypt. And God raises up Moses. And Moses nearly died, didn't he? He was was rejected in a way. He was wanted dead, nearly killed. And God raised him up uh, for his rescue plan to save God's people, to bring them out of Egypt. To do what? To be God's people in God's place, living under his rule, enjoying his blessing. Um, they, that was the reason he said they should go to Pharaoh, is so that they would make sacrifices to the Lord of their God. 
and I will be their God, they will be my people. And so even Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of Egypt, cannot stop God's purposes and plans. Cannot stop God from fulfilling the promises that he has made. The more he tries, the more it plays in God's favour. Even the, the, the plagues that come, the plagues that come down and Pharaoh's stubbornness, it all leads to God's purposes coming about and his plans for his kingdom. A people for himself who will worship him and live under his rule and enjoy his blessing in the land that he's promised them. Um, so this is where we kind of got to. And Mount Sinai is, excuse the pun, it's the high point um, of this journey because they come out of Egypt. They've been rescued and saved. What the ch- were the chances they would, Pharaoh would let them go? But, they, but he did because of what God did for them. And at Mount Sinai, God um, establishes his presence with them. God meets them on the mountain in fire and cloud. Uh, Moses is called up the mountain and God gives them his law. And that's a law that they, that they are to to live as his people. So they are coming back to relationship with him based on his salvation, based on his um, doing. And so this is the story of the Bible. This is how the Bible presents the story to us. It's the promises of God for his kingdom and for his people. And so what does this mean for us? Well, it means that God is a promise-keeping God. He is faithful. We sang about it, didn't we? And we're going to sing about it afterwards. God is faithful. What he says he's going to do, he will do. And you know what? Nothing's going to stop him from doing it. So whatever it is that our lives are about, or what we're currently putting our money on, if it's not God, if it's not Jesus, the fulfillment of God's kingdom, then it's on shaky ground. Whereas if we hear and see this God of the Bible and we trust him because he is trustworthy, then we will receive what is promised. We will receive, receive all the blessings of life with him because we put our trust in him. Um, there were lots of people who were physical descendants of Abraham. Many, 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 many Jews came from Abraham. And yet not all of them trusted the promise. And part of this story of what God is doing with a people is a story of not just of his faithfulness, but, but our perpetual unfaithfulness. We don't trust God. We don't believe him. And God has to do something about that. He has to provide a sacrifice. So when God says about the, um, the tabernacle, which is the meeting place between him and, and Israel, there has to be a sacrifice. When he leads them out of Egypt, there has to be a lamb that was slain. And that's because we are sinners and we need his payment for our sin to be in a right relationship with him. Um, and God uh, wants that relationship with us and yet we constantly push him away. And yet, if we believe this is the God of the Bible, that he makes these promises and he keeps these promises to us, if we trust that, then we will receive the promises, uh, what is promised. Life with God forever. And he, we believe that, that he has done that through Jesus Christ and that all of these promises are fulfilled in Jesus. That's why that 
um, progress tracker ends up at Jesus, ends up with him, we can see how God is doing what he said he was going to do. A people for himself who would be in the place that he's promised, living under his rule, enjoying his blessing, and being a blessing to many nations because of what he's done. Um, So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll have a chance for questions. Let's pray. Father God, you are a promise-making God, and by that you want us to listen to those promises and see how perfect you are at keeping them. And thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you that it tracks your faithfulness. That above everything else, it shows that you are a promise-keeping God, a God whose word counts. And uh, that is a word to us, that's a promise that is for us and our children, this generation, uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray that we would be those who would uh, not be, not take that for granted that you were like that, and not just turn away, uh, but that we would keep listening to you. And please work in our hearts so that we would accept what you say. Please help us to read our Bibles, to track how faithful you are at keeping that promise through many, 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 many generations. And that shows just how you faithful you are. So we pray that um, you would help us as we speak now and, our, and think about this together. And we pray that you'd uh, help us to personally respond to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.